Good morning. It is good to be with you today. I am Joel. I am one of the pastors here. I'm a transformed follower of Jesus. Who else? Anybody else? Love it. Love it. If you're not, let me tell you about Jesus because he's amazing. Hopefully you're going to hear it even today. Um, we are in the middle of a series right now called Speak. And uh, today we're going to talk about politics. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, last night I was here working away. Rewrote a sermon. I do that every week and uh, multiple times. And I was so praying Jesus would come back before today. <laughs> right? It's like, please, please. Um, uh, so it's going to be fun to be able to jump into this with you today. And, and you know us. We're just going to jump into the Word of God for, for fully what it is. Um, and we're going to talk about politics. But here's our issue with politics. Can we just go ahead right now? You know, so the the, the old adage, uh, if you call on an elephant in the room, it turns into a mouse. Um, I don't know if that's actually an old adage. It's just what I say. Um, did you know there's an election that's coming in two weeks? <laughs> Anybody knew that? Anybody seen a sign in their yard maybe? Um, anybody heard, maybe seen some ads, heard them on the radio, anything else? Um, has anybody noticed that right now, Nobody's actually even really speaking about politics. They simply are speaking about personalities. Has anybody else noticed this? There's going to be an interactive day. Get ready. All right. Um, yeah, I, I've noticed that. Like, I thought we were supposed to be voting on politics. Like, how, how does someone believe that our economy should be structured? Um, jobs. I thought we were supposed to be speaking about um, more about how healthcare should actually go or not go. And, um, should we have debt as a nation in the trillions of dollars or should we not? Have, I mean, all different things, um, peace, international affairs, like those. I thought that was it. Today, it seems that we're not. Like, I'm just simply trying to measure who's lying less. Anybody else know what I'm talking about on that one? Right? It's like, really? Come on. Like, you just said this and now you're saying this. And um, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you how I'm voting. Okay, you ready for this? I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a hard time because of the hatred. And, and, and I'm less concerned about two weeks from now as I'm, I'm concerned about what happens after that. Um, but to also let you understand where I'm coming from on this because of Scripture, hear me say right now, we live in the United States of America, Yes? We do not live in a Christian nation. And it would serve us well to recognize that we don't live in a Christian nation. This has not been a, a Christian nation in my lifetime. We, we simply before saw it as being more socially acceptable. But this is not a Christian nation. Best days... Stats would tell you that it's those who actually live out Scripture in their life. Best days out there, 8 to 9% of our nation truly believe in Jesus Christ and desire to live it out. We do not live in a Christian nation. Nor did God ever promise that we were to live in a Christian nation. But we do have an eternal hope in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so today we're going to have the joy of walking through some things that are spoken, spoken about very clearly in Scripture when it comes to politics, that comes down to governing authorities, how our position, how we should even view that. And then I'm going to give you seven things that you must know before you vote that are biblical principles, that's straight word of God, and even before you continue to speak and share your opinion. So, that's what we get to do today. Um, last night I was here. I was so praying. I was like, oh, brilliant. I'm preaching on, who came up with this idea to preach on politics? And I was like, oh, that was me. And then, and then I was like, maybe Jesus will come back before, before the service. <laughs> and then, so I told my wife that, and then she was like, okay. So she showed up, and she's like, let's just pray. And uh, so we're sitting back here praying last night, and uh, Jesus didn't come back. Okay, so get ready. I'm going to have scripture on the screen. I'm doing that as much as I can because I want you to see it, right? Um, I want you to see these are not Joel's thoughts. These are the thoughts of God. These are the words of God. But I also want you to have it here so that you can write down as much as you can. If you would, write down Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. Get ready. I'm doing this as much to get me ready as you, by the way. Romans, I love scripture so much. Romans 13, 1 through 7, it begins by saying, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And I'm so glad it doesn't stop there. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Amen. And those that exist have been instituted by God. God established government. You need to know this. So before you go forget government, you can't do that biblically. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. There is no authority except from God. Human government was established, is established by God. Paul says that we are to, this is written by him, right? So Paul is saying that we are to be subject to governing authorities. And even at the time, you had these zealots living out there, their, their Jewish faith, and they were struggling to say, why should we have to pay taxes? Because we believe in no God and no king other than God. And yet Paul is going, no, you have to. And so here it is being established by God, and um, reality is this, is that sometimes God allows for some leaders to bless a nation, and sometimes he allows there to be leaders um, who honestly reveal the judgment being brought upon those people. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the ones who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for, God, for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. And yes, sword in vain is literally speaking, he does not, he does not conduct capital punishment. That's literally what that's talking about, in vain. They, that's what they would do. Everybody thinks about crucifixion. Um, the, the normal cause of death was beheading, right? And, and crucifixion was for the poorest of the poor. That's why they put Jesus up there. That's the greatest humiliation. 
For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Government is to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. Here's the problem. is when government is no longer using any form of scripture or God to determine what is good and bad. That's the struggle, right? When all of a sudden you are being um, rewarded for something that scripture says is wrong... And when you're being punished for something that, that scripture says is good. And so now we have a struggle as believers, as Christians. And again, I know, I, I know that there are people who are watching in other venues, etc. that are not believers. Some of you may not be a believer. But again, I know the majority of you claim to be believers. So as a result of that, you need to know I'm preaching of this. I will always preach the word of God. That is how we define morality. Morality cannot be determined apart from Jesus Christ and his word. So I say it all the time. You must know that. And so when government is now establishing rules that are not determined by the morality of Jesus Christ, we're in a conundrum. Is that a polite way to say it? I get on your ballot in a couple weeks. Just write, I'm in a conundrum. Because that's where we're sitting right now. And trying to determine the steps that we need to be taking. And so here is this government. And, and Paul, I think Paul, part of what Paul is making sure that we recognize is that, listen, you, you're under a government and you should be somebody, even though you believe differently about Jesus Christ, you should still be a model citizen outside of that belief, meaning you should be known for your conduct. You should be known for someone who is praying. You should be known for someone who's not giving trouble to the state. Our response to, to, to something that is opposed to God isn't taking the sword. That's what Judas, right, one of the disciples wanted Jesus to come in on a white horse sword in hand, right, and just start slaying everybody. That's not how Jesus came, though. So we know that we are to submit, yes, to government. For because of this, you've got to pay taxes. Why does he have to say this? You have to pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all who is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Yes, we are called to pay taxes. Here's the difference, though, is that with government, those taxes are to accomplish that of keeping good and restraining evil, not to enrich government officials. And so this is what I want us to do. Knowing that God established the government, Knowing that he puts it there for us, we are going to walk through seven things that you must know. These are seven biblical truths that are going to do, again, two things. It's going to help you determine who to vote for. And then it's going to even help you establish what your current conduct is and how you're handling your heart and your thinking. Because a lot of the time when I'm looking around at how people who are claiming to know Jesus are behaving, I am embarrassed for the gospel that they claim to be Jesus. So, seven biblical truths. Some of them you're going to go, really? And then others you're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
If you need to give me like one of those grunts during the message, so be it. Very first thing, we must remain humble. Why are we shocked is a question I would ask. If you're shocked about our current political state, I would ask you this question. Why are you shocked? We do not live in a Christian nation. For thousands and thousands of years, we know that God has punished those who have allowed sexual immorality. We are a nation of sexual immorality. Even the way that some of us allow ourselves to dress, allow our children to dress, to be provocative. To, to, and we say, well, that's how they feel good. But yet if it's causing someone else to sin, simply because something is permissible does not mean that it is beneficial. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we live in a nation that is so sexually immoral. It's just astounding to me that we think God could actually be judging a nation. The internet did not create sexual immorality. The sinful heart of men and women created sexual immorality. And so why are we, why are we perplexed? That we're in a place where we are living in a nation of complete immorality and pride and arrogance. Right? We, we were raised to put our shoulders back and go, we are the United States. We weren't raised to go, I'm a, the citizen, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. We were raised to say, we're the United States, we're the greatest, we're the best. I love the United States. My grandfather died for this country. But what I am telling you now is that we are inundated with sexual immorality, we are inundated with pride, with lying, with the willingness to kill, and a love of power that is unprecedented in history. And you know what all those things do? They kill people and they destroy nations. And every one of us need to look in the mirror because we're all prideful at some level. We know Proverbs 16, 18, everybody says, oh, pride goes before the fall. Literally in ESV, Proverbs 16, 18, it says pride goes before destruction. So do you believe in the word of God? Yes or no? Here's what it said. If you're prideful, that's a precursor to destruction. And all of these things are happening right now. And so we are called to remain humble. That's why we know that we are told in Philippians 2 that Christ took on the, the humility needed to humble himself, become obedient to death. We need to have that type of humility as we speak. As we walk through all of this. Right? I, I, I think back to um, the, Acts chapter 12. Let me run to this real quick. I've already, already thrown out a passage I didn't use in the first one. It's all good. Acts chapter 12, 20 and 23, it talks about Herod. And he was angry with the people. And all of a sudden, what we find is that he was struck dead. An angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. We no longer give God glory. We give ourselves glory. And when things, we don't do what we need to do and get what we want, we then blame God for not doing what we desire. And yet it is our own problem to look 
in the mirror. And so we need to remain humble. And that's, that's my prayer, whether it be um, Luke Mirman, one of our state representatives, where, who's here right over there, I'm looking at him, whether it be Trump or Biden or Whitmer or any of our people in the health department. It doesn't matter who it is. I would look at every congressman, congresswoman, and I would, my prayer right away, and I actually, for some reason, all of a sudden, I was praying none of them were watching. But if you are watching, I am praying that you will humble yourself before the Almighty God. That's it. And I'm praying that I would do the same. We need to, first and foremost, evaluate the pride that we all have in our life. Why are we shocked? Why are we shocked? Second thing you must know of the seven biblical truths every believer must know about politics before you vote and before you discuss it any further. Um, One, we are called, we must be salt and light. Matthew 5, um, this is Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16 talks about this very thing. It says that you are the salt of the earth. But... If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. I mean, hey, you can claim to know Jesus, but if you're not promoting Jesus, you're worthless, all right? Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. We are to be salt and light. The way that we approach all of this is not to make sure we get one person elected. It's to make sure that we promote Jesus Christ. We are to be salt and light, which means we need to exercise the religious freedom that we have. We do need to vote. Here's one thing. If you have the ability to vote and choose not to vote, you need to be quiet. And we need, we need to make sure we're voting on politics, not personalities. Because truly, I'm, man, I'm measuring it. I'm, like, I'm, I'm listening to stuff. I'm trying so hard to listen to all the, the, the debates. But I'm so embarrassed for our nation, I end up turning them off. And then I'm like, no, I'm supposed to watch it. And I've got to watch it to, so that I can know what people are upset about. So then I, and then I find myself upset. And then I'm like, oh, I need cookies. And then, like, <laughs> anybody else in this? Anybody? Yes, I love you six people. (laughs) God never promised us a Christian nation. And so we are called to be salt and light in a world that is dark, that is hurting. Right, that, guys, that right there is why this church has been navigating our way through the last seven or eight months the way we've been doing it. Whether you agree with it online or whether you agree with it if you're here right now, it doesn't even matter. What I'm saying is we're trying to be salt and light. The way our temperament is, we're going to pray for every single government official. We're going to stand for Jesus no matter what, but we're going to make sure that we're trying to navigate these waters that are tumultuous with grace, love, humility, and forgiveness for all because God can redeem us all. And we need you to be salt and light with us. There's a lot of 
questions floating around right now if you didn't know? Right? Are schools going to close? And then if schools close, do we remain open? How do we do all these things? We're playing a lot, even in leadership. I met with some of them on Thursday, and I said, okay, we need to play some more what if. Right? What if this happens? What if we start being fined 25, 50K every time we meet? What if, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? I will tell you this, um, and I've been very clear with the elders about this. We will do everything we possibly can to continue meeting together to glorify God. Jesus 2020, that's what was just said. Please write him in. (laughs) Oh, man, that would be so, like, if that happens, who cares about anything else? You, I will get down, I will do the worm. Um, (laughs) So we need you to help us. I mean, we're trying our very best. As full as this place may even seem, we've separated rows, right? They're all about six feet apart. We've got every other row up there that's blocked off, and we're trying to do that. This is only 50% capacity. Our other venues are only 30% capacity for a reason. Um, And I know that some of you all have opinions about that. God bless you. Keep them to yourself. But what I'm saying is that we're striving to be salt and light in a world that needs salt and light more than ever before. Third thing we have to do of the seven biblical truths. We must stand for the poor and the oppressed. We have no biblical choice. I'm going to hit this very quick. I'm going to give you three passages of scripture right down. The first one is Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Maker is capitalized. That means you're insulting God. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs 14, 21. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor, listen to this. Some of you have a giant sign in your yard that says a particular name that probably isn't Jesus, whoever that was, right? And then your neighbor has a different sign. And right now there's some hostility. And you're trying to figure out how can you get away with covering their sign somehow. So you're blowing leaves all over their sign. (laughs) Like if you live in my neighborhood, that's not hard to do. And so you're doing your very best to try to figure out what that is. And it's created this hostility. And you're going, oh, what do I do now? But listen to this passage. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. And we know scripture tells us that we will always have the poor amongst us. We will always have the oppressed amongst us. But knowing that they will always be amongst us never removes us from the responsibility of caring for them. That's why I love, I mean, I have so much appreciation for you. You have no clue the amount, the tens and tens of thousands of dollars that this church is able to meet benevolent needs with every year is silly. We never even asked for it, and it just keeps showing up. 
I'm like, oh man, we just helped so many families who were without jobs or in the hospital, whatever it is this week. It's going to take a hit. And somehow it all just keeps reappearing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We must stand for the poor and the oppressed. A fourth thing that we must do is what we must, now this one you're going to hear, we must care about every life. Right there, you, you just read that and you thought something. Didn't you? Let's be, come on, let's be honest. We can all put our big boy pants on. A year ago in the Because It Matters series that I was walking through, I spoke about abortion, being pro-life. And if you are following scripture, if you say this is completely the word of God, we know what scripture says, right? Psalm 119, 13, um, it says that Psalm 139, uh, 13 and following, says that he formed us in our inward parts and he knit us together in our mother's womb. Um, 2017 Planned Parenthood reported revenue of over, I think it, I've got it, I think it here, over $3 billion, right? We've got people right now reporting on, hey, this is what they're, they're selling body parts of baby, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So that is certainly part of it. We must not disregard of life, a life that God loves simply because it's convenient. We know that over, just over 90% of abortions are out of convenience. Hey, I'm not ready for this, or hey, I'm in school right now. So hear me say, God loves those in the womb. Hear me, you hear me? God loves those in the womb. But God loves those out of the womb just as much. God loves every single life. And we must love every human life because God has a love for every human life. You cannot promote love for some and hatred for others. Right? It, it doesn't matter the age. The, um, Exodus chapter 20, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Life matters, and we must care about every single human life, no matter the state in which it is in. So we must care about every life. Fifth thing, we must stand for biblical marriage and family. We have to. Every great civilization, we even see, once they abandon that, the fall comes. It just is a, a continual decay. 1 Corinthians 6, I mentioned it previously. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and following is what I would tell you to write down, specifically 9 through 12. But in 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, and I've even addressed that. Why aren't we surprised? We have sexual immorality running rampant. So neither the sexually immoral or idolaters. Every single person in this room at some point has struggled with idolatry. Of placing something above God in value or importance. 
nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's that passage I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Listen, things may be lawful. That does not mean that they are, are beneficial. And we are dismantling biblical marriage. And the problem is sin. Why do we struggle with sin? It's very simple. We have exchanged God's plan for life with our preferences. That's what we've done. Well, this is what I want, so that should be God's plan. Rather than saying, God, what is your plan? Will you shape my heart to what you desire? We must stand for biblical marriage and family. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. We must stand for biblical marriage. Now, let me go ahead and stop before we get to 6 and 7. Because right now, can we just be really direct? You're going, oh, that's Trump. Oh, that's Biden. Oh, what do I do? Right? Like, how, how do we process all that? I'll continue on. Six, we must pray. If we would pray as much as we spout off our opinion, the world would change. James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man um, can accomplish much. We're reminded of that. We're reminded of Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Again, Sermon on the Mount, right? He, Jesus is launching into his ministry in a powerful way. And he says something that just makes everybody uncomfortable. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. It says... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Oh, yeah, that feels good. He says, I, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We must pray. Prayer is an expression of faith in God's power. That's all it is. Prayer is an expression of faith in God's power. Those who pray little have little belief in the power of God. It's a simple way to think about it. But we need to pray. Number seven. God is always primary. Now, I know what Romans 13 said and what Paul was communicating to these zealots who didn't want to pay taxes, didn't want to have anything to do with the government. And he's going, no, no, what are you doing? What, what, wait a second here. You need to pay your taxes. You need to recognize God allows them to be in office, and you need to submit to that. But hear me also say, because of Scripture, okay, don't confuse these things. God is always primary. 
Here's a question that I think we can help can help us evaluate this. Is rebellion against government, is rebellion against government ever justified? You ready? Yes. And some of you immediately, when you heard that, are like, I don't want to fight for anything. You don't. But sometimes rebellion against government is justified. You need to know that. If forced to choose, choose between God or government, we are to choose God. Governments have an authority from God and we are to obey unless they order us to do something in contradiction to God's law. Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, what we find here says the, the, the leaders, these are the rulers and the elders, okay, of all the leaders in Jerusalem. And this is what happens. They bring together before them. This is right after Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes. New Testament church is born. People are coming by the thousands to give themselves to Jesus Christ. And they see people like Peter and John who are preaching the gospel. And they bring them in. They're like, whoa, wait a second. And so they bring in, after seeing the boldness of Peter and John, they bring them in. They're like, what are you doing? It's 13 and following. And so they're like, hey, listen, okay, we've heard enough of you. Why don't you leave? We'll bring you back in a second. They concur with each other. And like, what are we going to do with these guys? And so they bring them back in. They order them to no longer spread the message of Jesus amongst the people. They called them in, charged them with this. And here's the response of Peter and John. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. It continues on in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Same thing is happening. They keep speaking of who Jesus is. They brought him in. They sit him before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. They didn't just charge them. They strictly charge Like, right? You do this and you're done. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We are to be respectful of government no matter what except when it forbids us from doing what God commands or tells us to do what God forbids. You following me? Here's a just, and I even, I wrote this, I want to make sure you hear this. We're struggling right now, partly because politics is always downstream of culture. One, so don't be surprised about politics. It's what we already tolerate within our culture. I don't know why we think all of a sudden an elected official is now all of a sudden going to change everything. The only thing that will actually change anything is the gospel of Jesus. The struggle we have, though, is that with both of our options that we currently have, we're measuring who lies the, less, the least 
And we're also measuring personality and not policies. And we also understand that leaders shape others around them every time. Leaders shape and influence others, whether you desire that as the outcome or not. Leaders shape people. But as a believer, you need to know that my primary leader is not of this world. His name is Jesus, and he's the son of God. He nor his father have promised time in this flesh to be easy. But he has promised an eternal hope, one that will not fail. It will forever be present. And so knowing such a promise, it shapes your attitude. It shapes and crafts your heart. It determines your thinking. It forces you to evaluate all else by nothing else than the saving love and power of God. And when knowing and truly understanding that the gospel is greater than hatred. Hear me say it again. The gospel is greater than hatred. The gospel is greater than discord. The gospel is greater than animosity. And when our hearts understand this, our hearts will then ache for others to know the same power. And so we understand that as Christians, we aren't victims. No matter who the president is, no matter who the governor is, no matter who state officials are, we are not victims. We know Jesus. And we have been freed from temporary sin and hatred for eternity. And loss of our temporary freedoms. Loss of our temporary freedoms, religious or not, do not define our eternal identity in Christ. For it is the love of Jesus by which we have been saved. And so we are to stand. We are to vote. We are to stand. We are to vote for those who best promote Jesus. We are to choose those of humility, those who value every single life. We are to choose those that stand for the poor and the afflicted. We are to choose those that stand for biblical marriage. Those are not Republican or Democratic values. Those are biblical values. So no matter who our state officials are, no matter who our governor is, no matter the president, we are to stand for Jesus. We stand for Jesus. And the posts that we share online, the hearts that we convey, the conversations that we have, and the votes that we cast, we are to stand for Jesus. That is my joy. That is my honor. Is it yours? We are to stand for Jesus. And making sure that we best represent and reflect his truth. That's it. And so God, I come before you right now and I lift up our state representatives. I lift up Luke Merriman to you right here. I lift up our governor. And I pray that she would encounter you. I pray for Joe Biden and Donald Trump both right now that no matter where they are God I just 
oh man, I so badly want them to see more of your face, know more of your grace, more of your forgiveness, to encounter you knowing that there really is no hope apart from you. There is no hope apart from you. There is no hope apart from you. May they encounter you. And may we walk forth out of this place into this community as salt and light, standing for your values, knowing that we are held accountable to, accountable to that, God, more than all else. Thank you for the privilege of being able to stand for you. Christ's name.